Welcome, everybody. This is Natalie. This is Sam. And we're your hosts of Whiskerhood, a podcast by Women in Science Portland. Whiskerhood is our community of support for women in science and their allies. And today, we're here to talk about personality types in STEM. Personality tests were first developed by the military during World War I to predict which soldiers would suffer from shell shock. Today, according to the Harvard Business Review, the personality test industry is worth half a billion dollars, with more and more groups deciding that they need their teams to be optimized by understanding their individual personality traits and group dynamics. If you are working or have worked in a team environment recently, chances are you've taken personality tests. Or maybe you've just taken them on BuzzFeed to find out which mansion or Greek vacation or Harry Potter soulmate is right for you. But how useful are personality tests really? And are there truly more dominant or desirable personalities for people in STEM? So I think we've been sort of building up to this, I feel like, (laughs) over the past several episodes. There's like a couple sort of paths we can take where it's like one, working in any group dynamic like involves your employer being like how do we optimize the way that we do things and two also like I think that there's a lot of like I don't know potentially myths potentially facts about the types of people who are more likely to enter STEM stay in STEM etc um Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be kind of fun and useful if we could like first talk about you know your own experience having taken personality tests before then talk about like two um, of the more primary personality tests that are used and then finally like sort of cap it all off with like what it means in the context of STEM. For you Sam like do you find personality tests useful like what sort of experience have you had with them? Yeah so I mean it's definitely hot and cold I feel like whether they're useful or not at work when I worked as a resident assistant in college we actually did personality tests and in that setting I felt it was really useful Um, we did you know the what is it the top five strengths quiz I can't remember exactly what it's called but it's pretty pretty common and I think it was really useful because what it does is you go through you answer all the questions like most personality tests there's a million of them and then it gives you out of so many different strengths, you can have what your top five are, but then you can also look at below that what the rest of yours are um, numerically in order. And then you can have it where it shows you in comparison to your coworkers and showing like, okay, so these people are stronger in this area, while maybe some of these people are stronger in this area. So you know then maybe like, oh, I have this sort of issue going on at work this might be a good person to help me since that's their strength and I'm kind of lacking in that area and vice versa or as a team as a whole you can see what areas you're really strong in and what areas you're not so great in which could be helpful for you know filling new positions going forward or even just you know being self-aware that you guys aren't very good at whatever that certain scenario is and so in that way um, I felt it was really useful at my current job, and we've never um, taken any personality tests. Yeah, but that's interesting that, like, like, had you take it as an RA, was the point, like, just like, oh, here is how I might respond to a student emergency, like, what's the... 
I think their goal, it was kind of like a team building exercise. So we could learn more about each other since we have to work. Like as an RA, you usually work with one other RA when you're on duty. And so you can understand who you're working with and how they function a little bit better. And yeah, maybe if there is an emergency scenario where you're like, oh, so-and-so's way better at this, which can be really bad. You might be calling so-and-so for every problem, which you shouldn't be doing. But I think that was more the goal was, team building and just learning more about each other and hopefully being able to create some sort of efficiencies um, in our responses. I don't really know. That's so interesting to me. I don't know about that. I guess maybe it could be a good icebreaker, at least for me personally, like since I'm not like in a major or field of study where like team work is particularly emphasized like I know a lot of my like biomedical biomedical engineering friends like they have to like I think they have they're in a team for like all four years and it's like the same team and they have to do like all sorts of crazy things um and like maybe like I maybe they have them do something similar that would be very strange and very un Hopkins but who knows sometimes it's just like oh like fun fun times like find out what your personality is and like what personality type your soulmate will be like blah 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 (laughs) yeah in my one of my engineering classes my sophomore year they made us take Myers-Briggs to put us into teams and so the professor never told us though if you put like all of the same personality types on one team or like different like complementary personality types he didn't ever tell us because I don't know, I guess he didn't want us to know, I don't know, but, um, so that's the only time I've had it, you know, in engineering, where they've done that, is they used it to put us into groups, and that's actually how I uh, met my fiance, funny story, but, so you can find your soulmate via personality. (laughs) They knew, they were like, how do we, how do we get these matchmaking opportunities? (laughs) Yes, ignore lab it's all about love <laughs> that is so funny though because it's like then they like they're like oh yeah like these people would off like would be part of an optimal team and it was like yeah they did they truly are <laughs> Matter of fact, right <laughs> that's so funny probably most people's experience is like sort of hit or miss depending on like the people they're with probably because like imagine if you're like oh yeah like I'm an ESTP and like the other person's like I'm an IS TJ I don't even know if that's a real thing and you just sort of sit there and you're like okay cool (laughs) cool I feel like that's it a lot though you take personality tests you're like cool okay here's the question though do you think it can like replace good communication or like do you think good communication can replace like having done a personality test with your team that's an interesting question I don't think so like I they're I feel like they're almost um I'm trying to think of how to answer this. I don't feel like, you know, a personality test can replace good communication, but I feel like in situations where you need help, it can be helpful to enhance your good, like actually create good communication. Um, If you really just don't understand the person you're talking with, I've had that happen before, um, where it's just our communication styles were so opposite that we couldn't effectively get anything done. And it was so frustrating. And we really just had to like awkwardly work through it to try to, you know, get something accomplished. 
And so, like, maybe in that situation where it would have, if we would have been open to it, maybe that would have been helpful, give us some insight on each other. But also at the same time, it's like, I, you could also just tell people, like, hey, this, if you're, I guess, self-aware, this is how I communicate. This would be helpful if we did this instead of this, or it really just depends. But overall, I would say, yeah, good communication is always key. And when you say that, like, your communication styles are really different, like, what does that mean? Like, what, what was, what was the disconnect? Um, I'm a very social individual. And even when I'm like in work settings, I mean, depending on who I'm talking to, right? With my coworkers, like I like to get to know them as people and, you know, ask them about their days or their weekends. And I like to talk about the fluff, you know, I'm very like, I just like to chat with people and get to know them better. That's very much my personality. Um, so I like it when people, you know, actually have conversations with me kind of like that whereas the other person was very all about the fact no fluff no beating around the bush no nothing it was just like very direct in like a very abrasive way which I appreciate people who are direct like don't get me wrong that wasn't the problem it was the abrasiveness that was the problem and it just so when they would talk to me I would always feel very defeated and when I would try to talk to them, I mean, I don't know how they felt, but it just seemed like they did not give a crap about anything I'm saying. <laughs> and so that made it really hard for us to communicate. I feel like we didn't, it's almost like we just didn't really get along that well. Do you think that they like did not take you seriously because they thought that because like you of your personality sort of just like wanting to ask about people's actual lives <laughs> instead of, you know, I mean, Maybe I would hope not, but it's definitely, I mean, definitely not out of the question. It's one of those things where I just couldn't tell. It seemed like they were a kind of individual who was pretty abrasive to everyone, regardless of who you were. Um, But I have had that happen before where I have, you know, this pretty outgoing social personality and people are like, oh, like, can't be smart and like be, you know, a social butterfly and I'm like why are those two things exclusive like so in that situation I would say no but it has happened before first terrible I'm sorry side note it's so awkward when you're like you hop on a zoom call and the other person goes like how are you doing and you're like fine and you say how are you doing and they say fine and then you there's like a gap and then you start talking about what you're whatever you're supposed to talk about it's like like I don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the format is like you know how's the weather can't get that out of the way now it's shut <laughs> right no I mean it's like it's it's hard to because like I I think about this a lot because one of my research mentors is very much like that where it's like how are you doing fine how are you doing fine launches into conversation and like I don't it's like I don't know like I would want to know more about the person but at the same time like it feels strange that like as a student asking someone who's like my authority figure um like so how's it going it's like feels kind of weird and but maybe it feels weird for them too because it's like you don't want to cross a boundary but I guess there's still definitely ways to get to know someone without like crossing boundaries I mean, good communication is key, is conclusion number one. 
Okay, so we're going to talk about the Myers-Briggs test first, because I feel like it's definitely the biggest one. Um, yeah. And what was, like, really strange was that, for at least for me, I don't know if you've taken it multiple times, I took mine, like, maybe five years apart, and I still got the same thing when I felt like my personality was, had changed radically, um, but, like, I, I still got the same thing. I'm an ISFJ. My sophomore year of college, but I couldn't find those results. I don't remember what they were, but looking at the letters, I feel like it's the same or like one letter off, you know, um, I have the ESFJ, so I'm just one letter different than you. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> that makes so much sense though, because like, in my mind, you're like the extroverted version of me. <laughs> <laughs> like if Natalie was better, <laughs> no, not that being introverted is bad, but how you thrive. Do you feel like you agree, first of all, with your, like, personality type and, like, what they've said about it? I do. It also has, like, a dash T letter on mine. You can be dash T or dash A, which that I don't remember from the original Myers-Briggs. That one stuck out to me, which is interesting. So the dash is, like, supposed to be corresponding to your identity. It says this trait underpins all others showing how confident we are in our abilities and decisions and so you'd either be a assertive or t turbulent which just cracked me up so i'm dash t which in my personal life is so true <laughs> i'm turbulent i have a hard time making decisions i overthink things and typically make big deals you know about things that shouldn't matter like where are we going to eat for dinner you know that classic trope of i can't make decisions <laughs> but i feel like in my work life I'm very assertive and very confident in my decisions. And it's kind of funny how, I mean, I answered this. I tried to answer it pretty holistically, um, but I feel like that one was where I feel like I'm pretty split a lot of the time. Um, I was only 57% turbulent, so it was pretty close. And then we have, you know, the main part of the Myers-Briggs, the first four letters. So you're either introverted or extroverted, um, intuitive or observant thinking or feeling and then judging or perspecting and so I feel like they're hit them all pretty on the head I'm definitely more extroverted than introverted the observant versus intuitive it says this trait shows where we direct our mental energy I'm definitely more observant I definitely like about what's going on around me I tend to be a little bit of like a people pleaser things like that but it's interesting. So I am ISFJ. So we differ, of course, in the first letter, introverted versus extroverted. But also, um, I'm like my the fifth letter for me is T, which is turbulent. Um, and I guess what what I'm seeing here is like turbulent individuals. This is what it says on the website. Turbulent individuals are self conscious and sensitive to stress. They're likely to experience a wide range of emotions and be success driven, perfectionistic, and easy, eager to prove or eager to improve, um, which I feel like is definitely, like, okay, pretty, pretty valid. Well, and it's also, like, I, I don't know, I think I'm self-conscious. <laughs> okay, so obviously introverted, extroverted is self-explanatory. The next one is, um, I think the category is energy, and it's basically, like, where your mental energy goes, and it can be I or S. Here's what they say about observant folks that are highly pra practical, pragmatic, and down-to-earth have strong habits and focus on what is happening or has already happened. Whereas intuitive is like less, sort of more like go with the flow, which I 
I, I can't like I if there's anything that I'm not it's go with the flow I try to be but I like to think I am but when I break it down I'm like no I'm an over planner I don't go like I can go with the flow but if it's like track record up to me I'm like I'm definitely gonna like plan it all out yeah and I mean like sometimes like I'll make I'll make a rule for myself that like is very arbitrary but like if I don't follow those rules like the world is over and if something doesn't go the way that I expect like I'm done I like and I also like the thing is that's the problem though that's this is why I think I can be like an extremely unbearable person is that like when something when unexpected things happen as they will because life happens like my brain doesn't know how to react and I just become a terrible person at least in my own mind so like you know awareness is the first step to whatever (laughs) so be self-aware yeah but mine I think is funny mine's 55 percent observant to 45 percent intuitive and I would say it's pretty nice. accurate most of the time I very much like to plan things out and like things to go a certain way um but like when I need to be I can be flexible but it's definitely not I don't think my default but when I actually think about it I'm like oh okay like I can like it's fine I can do whatever so I think that that's pretty pretty accurate for me that's interesting I'm 70% observant or like 70% s um so I'm I'm nowhere near (laughs) the middle what is sort of interesting about this I guess though is like I in my mind like if you were to like be like okay it, what like the first thing that comes to mind when you think about like STEM people it's like probably this that they're like highly structured and like are complete pains in the collective ass totally the stereotype you're not right yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm sure that like it, it's because like uh, we've talked about this that like classes will favor people who like can obsessively plan ahead and like career paths like sort of similar situations but yeah. Do you feel like you know people in your life who are in STEM who are highly intuitive and like still make it work? Oh yeah, I would almost say like a lot of people I know you have to go from, I feel like school really builds you to be observant, but when you get out into the real world and in industry, at least in my field of work, you know, biomedical engineering and things like that, I feel you have to almost be more intuitive or you have to be able to balance both of them really well. Um, But I feel like that goes, with a lot of STEM um, majors and industries, because in STEM, you never know really truly what's going to happen. And your experiments can go wrong all the time and things happen that debunk what you originally planned and don't go the way you wanted it to. And you have to be able to bounce back from that. If you're overly structured with no flexibility, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And if you think that you're right off your first iteration, you're also setting yourself up for failure. Well, you need the balance, I think, um, which is something I learned definitely going into the real world. Because I mean, in class, it was always about, you know, getting an A, getting the right answer. In the real world, there is no right answer. You, no one even knows what the answer is. You just have to try to figure it out. I think it's also interesting because, like, obviously, like, most of STEM is applied, like, just in terms of like the job, the number of jobs that are out there in the industry slash like in academia, most of the time, like you're not just sitting in a room thinking big thoughts. Um, (laughs) Part of the S type is that like, they're highly practical, which I feel like is a very STEM person thing. Whereas I think like, 
I definitely have friends who are just like totally what structure Google Calendar who I don't know her like they're very much like that and yet like very pragmatic which I think like maybe that like pragmatism and um practicality might be the like more the 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 defining factor that's more seen in STEM people practicality is not a like a necessarily gendered trait I don't think I guess it could go both ways yeah yeah because like on one hand you have like girl boss gatekeep sort of practicality and then on the other hand it's like oh like girls are I don't know like think about unicorns all day (laughs) frivolous materialistic and just like in la la land (laughs) yeah that that I guess it's like a sort of hmm, I don't know we'll have to sit on that the next category which is like the third letter um is about sort of like your general nature which determines how you make decisions and cope with emotions we are both f s f f f as in fireball (laughs) um and so but the other side thinking would be like more objective and rational prioritizing logic over emotions and hide their feelings um and see like efficiency as more important than cooperation. Whereas S is our F, oh my gosh, is the direct opposite. This one is interesting because I think this one has changed for me the most over time. Because when I was younger, I think I was more of a T. I would care less about like people's feelings than like the end product. And I feel like I'm like not that way anymore. I agree with mine, I've always been feeling I I think it also leans into I mean maybe it doesn't I don't know uh, my extrovertedness a little bit like I'm I love being around people I also you know I'm really conscious of how other people are feeling as well as how I'm feeling myself because I think that's how you know if we're all hanging out together having a good time like as an extrovert I feel very like happy and recharged and um, kind of vice versa if we're in a group setting and I notice people are off somehow like that I notice very strongly and want to correct that or help that as best as I can um so I definitely spot on I've always been that way always will be that way (laughs) that's just me okay question though like do you ever get the like do you ever think like oh my gosh like this person is not feeling like when like someone's opinions are just wrong or, and, like, their way that they're responding is wrong, do you still have the same, like, oh, yeah, like, let's respect their feelings, and, like, no. <laughs> no. I try, I do, I try the best I can to be, like, you know, even though I don't agree with you, like, I, you're, you the like, people's feelings are still valid, regardless of if you agree with them or not, so I try to remind myself that, like, even if I think they're nuts or something, that's bad, but even if, like, yeah, I, I don't agree, I'd be like, well, they are feeling those feelings, and that's valid, like, you're allowed to feel how you want to feel, you know, but yeah, if it's something where we really definitely don't agree on, I have to sit there and be like, okay, Sam, like, don't make a big deal out of it. Don't be rude. I'm like, let's just try to like keep moving along. Cause I'm like, I'm just, I do. I tend to brush over um, those things, I think, more. Like, for example, like if my friend is like, well, okay, this is not a hypothetical situation. My friend was like sort of in a, a bit of a jam and knew that she'd put herself in a jam, let it happen. Um, and as a result, like felt, 
you know, was feeling not great about it and, you know, wasn't happy and yet knew that like it wasn't the situation that she deserved. Like, for example, like if my friend is like, well, okay, this is not a hypothetical situation. My friend was like sort of in a, a bit of a jam and knew that she'd put herself in a jam, let it happen. Um, and as a result, like felt, you know, was feeling not great about it and, you know, wasn't happy and yet knew that like it wasn't the situation that she deserved as a friend. Like, yeah, like I totally, I was sad that she was sad and didn't want her to be feeling that way. But at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, like you knew (laughs) not to be like, oh, like it was her fault or anything like that. But it's just like, that is, I think like the thinking side sort of like butting in a little bit where it's like, this could have been avoidable. And like, I just wanted to spare you that pain, you know? No, I completely agree. But again, it's not about sympathy or empathy. I mean, it's just kind of about, you know, like you knew what you were doing and you messed up. (laughs) This one is tough though. I really struggle with it because I don't, sometimes people are just wrong. (laughs) But you know, there's a line, obviously. Um, Okay, onward to the last one. Um, So I think this one has to do with tactics, which is supposed to reflect how we work, plan, and decision-make. And I, we're both, I'm heavily a J, um, which stands for judging, which says that individuals like us are decisive, thorough, and highly organized and value clarity, predictability, closure, preferring structure, and planning to spontaneity. I'm realizing now that we talked about all of this before. (laughs) Um, But I think that's also sort of interesting, like the the predictability bit. How do you feel about your judging personality? (laughs) I know when you hear judging, you're like, ouch, like that feels harsh. But then you read it like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Oh yeah, I'm 51% judging. Um, I do, I do agree with it though. I definitely um, feel like I align with it. There's also like a, like a map where you can like sort of see like globally and regionally, like what sorts of traits most people are in, within a certain country. And like, what's sort of funny is that like, I mean, it's like, obviously like stereotypes definitely don't like play out obviously like it's not like everyone in China is into it or um introverted um which I thought was like sort of interesting and like just fun to like play around with so I don't know and that was like a very hidden thing I found it like literally two seconds ago so that is interesting yeah I feel like I don't know like I'm very curious like how are they pulling that data I, mean, I think it's like when you take the test, you like tell them where you live. Oh. Like for I mean, the US, well, that... it looks like there's like 22 million respondents. In China, 84,000. Brazil, 240,000. Like, I don't know, N is quite large. <laughs> yeah. Really, that must be on the actual Myers Briggs website. On the mm. one I did it, they didn't. Um, but yeah, I feel like that that's pretty interesting because yeah, you like you said it's like is it gonna play into stereotypes? Is that even 
really helpful to have that kind of data like what is it what is the purpose like what is it just like something fun to look at what are they using it for anything I guess it would be yeah. interesting to know I mean it's like reassuring it, maybe it's like the same thing where it's like oh like we think that stem people have a certain kind of personality whereas really like it's just you know bag. outdated perceptions that are upheld by the patriarchy and white supremacy um yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about like there's a there's a whole different sort of paradigm and framework outside of Myers Briggs, which is like the four tendencies type, which yeah. like has to do with how we respond to expectations, um, either like from the outside world or from ourselves. And I'd be curious to hear like what you got on this one. Yeah, so I had never actually heard of this test before, so I was very interested in taking it. My tendency was obliger which apparently is the most common tendency out of the four. There's um, obliger, upholder, rebel, and I can't remember what the last one is. I think it was questioner. Yes, questioner. So yes, I got obliger. What did you get? I have upholder, which says like, basically you try to meet both inside and outside expectations. Yeah, and the obliger is you meet outer expectations, but you struggle to meet inner expectations. It says that they're motivated by external accountability, and they wake up and think, like, what must I do today? And then, I mean, when it goes with the other ones, like Natalie said, upholder is you're kind of equally meeting outer and inner expectations. Uh, the questioner, you typically resist outer expectations, but meet inner expectations, so it's the opposite of an obliger. And then the opposite of the upholder is the rebel where you resist both outer and inner expectations. Mine hit it pretty well. I definitely growing up, I would say 100% always obliger. I feel like I still probably have more of those tendencies today, but I've definitely grown more where I feel like I'm getting closer, hopefully to being an upholder where, you know, I will want to actually meet my inner expectations um, versus resisting them I feel like the verbiage is a little harsh when it says like meet and resist it's like for me personally I don't resist my inner expectations but I just don't um I guess follow them as strictly as I do outer expectations like I really want to be able to you know help my friends and my family and if at work like someone else asked me to help them with something I'm like guaranteed I'm going to get it done whereas if I just have my own work to do um, at work that really is just a detriment to myself if I don't get it done <laughs> I'll put that off to help someone else out um, but I do feel like I am capable of making expectations for myself and meeting them I definitely though am not as strict and if I don't meet them it's not that big of a deal I'm like ah well better luck next time you know kind of thing obliger is definitely like goes very much to the people pleasing like really like wanting to make sure that other people are like comfortable and safe and I feel like all those things are good but also like I agree with you that the verbiage is sort of strong because there are definitely versions of upholder which is what I am that are unhealthy like if you have unhealthy expectations for yourself like that's not good um right. and in like the same way where it's like you can be a, a healthy obliger like you could just like have you, like you don't you could just like have fewer expectations for yourself because you're just like you know allowing yourself to take it easy on yourself which I think is totally fine um in many yeah. situations um mm -hmm. 
but no I think like because I think I definitely agree first of all um my god like it might it, it's definitely a dominant personality trait that like I form habits that I find hard to break my morning has to follow these steps and if they don't like it my world is falling apart and I fully like realize that the reason why I do this is because everything else is so unpredictable that like I like having um a sense of normalcy when like my entire world is like crashing and burning um and like I'll still have like the same breakfast and like have some chai after like it's like oh yes you know I'm very much like the grandpa who you know during the apocalypse like will still be like out on the front porch with a newspaper I feel like um and actually this was a very um I think this strengthened during COVID um because before like I I didn't maybe like it didn't manifest as much just because it was like go 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 but during COVID I like really needed that structure whereas I don't know if you feel like similarly about a sudden lack of structure yeah no I I did for sure and I think it was interesting to me too like I can kind of see it from a um, obliger perspective where that first hit you know it's just chaos around you and like I wanted some sort of normalcy in structure but at the beginning you know I just was kind of like very laissez-faire about it just like man no expectations we're just gonna hang out but then it's left me kind of you know not setting those expectations for myself but then it did I became you know it got to that point where it's like you do get uncomfortable and I did like I was you know needing some sense of normalcy and so I did have to then put those things in place for myself because it was lacking normally I just get that you know from the usual work life balance where that was no more and so I had to learn a little bit more how to be a little bit more strict with myself because I am a little bit in that sense of my life go with the flow um, which is funny since, you know, Myers-Briggs says otherwise, but, you know, it's a little bit of both. It's a balance in a different parts of your life, too. You can be different ways. I don't know. It's weird that they, like, sort of differentiate between the two because I feel like they're very similar and they can, like, really easily, you know, become the same thing. Um, yeah. Because, like, I mean, I, I would say that almost all of my inner expectations derive from, like, outer expectations. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I don't know what percentage of mine do, but I feel like it's very similar. I mean, being the obliger and being like a people pleaser, it's like, um, I'll notice myself sometimes like, maybe, you know, there'll be a decision between two things. And I just like, I don't really care which one like I go with, I can't really decide what I like better. And so I'll ask people's input and then that will heavily sway me into choosing what most people like which isn't a bad way to do things sometimes but then I'll think back and I'll be like is that really what I wanted you know or am I just listening to everybody else and what they want um which again in some scenarios it's fine to do that but in others I'm like I shouldn't have done that like I really should have just figured this out myself and so I notice I do that a lot and that's I think for me or the swap or the merge happens is like I'll be like oh yeah no yeah I, I want that too and I'll think back and be like no actually I don't really think I did I think I just listened to everybody else no no definitely because it's there's so much like um 
when you feel like you don't want to be the one like causing the problem and you're just like yeah 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 like whatever the group decides when like really that's not necessarily like best for you which is still like putting the group above oneself um right which you know is again like good in some instances like i.e vaccination like etc cetera, etc cetera. there can be healthy and unhealthy versions of all of the different iterations oh yeah do you think that there's like most people in stem are more likely to be upholders or do you think that there's like a, a split here or is that i don't know from your experience yeah i think honestly from my experience if i really like think about it and the people i've met in stem like there's a little bit of everybody i mean if you think of the yeah. stereotype um i definitely feel like might be more like questioners and upholders. I feel like that might be more the STEM stereotype where it's like, yeah, oh, like I'm setting such high expectations for myself and I'm not listening to any outside like opinions. Like I just need to like grind and get this stuff done. Or, you know, you have the person who um, has, you know, both external and internal expectations pressuring them or influencing them, whether that's good or bad. Um, but yeah, I would say for my experience, I've definitely, in school and even at my job see all of the time there's definitely people who um don't really they resist both don't really care too much very just like ah, i'll do whatever works we'll just see what happens you fly by the seat of your pants i don't know if that's an accurate description of the rebel um tendency but i feel like it kind of is um i definitely feel like yeah there's lots of obligers at my work too lots of really great people who just want to help each other out um whether that's in the detriment of themselves or not sometimes um but then there's definitely other the other two types as well the upholder and the questioner so i think when i really break it down i would say no there's not just from my experience but stereotypically i could see how you could pick one out of the bunch yeah, I mean, I totally, I think I'd agree with that. I think that at the end of the day, like, the main sort of, uh, like, pro for a personality test like this and the Myers-Briggs is that, like, for people who don't necessarily do a lot of, like, active self-awareness or, like, active, like, reflection mm -hmm. about their styles of communication and whatever, like, this can be helpful um but I think that for like most people who do think about these things like it it only just sort of reinforces things that you already know about yourself which is like good that you can be able to put verbiage to traits like this and I don't think that necessarily like this was something done you know a generation ago um which I think is like probably positive that at least like there's like buzzwords that you can sort of use to help guide um, your sort of like self-reflection, um, which I mean, of course, can be useful when you're working with other people. Right, no, completely. I, I agree with all of that. And I was just thinking, I feel like one of the most helpful tests I've taken, it's not a personality test, but it's the implicit bias test. We had to take that in my bioethics course in college. And I think that, like, if you're going to take a test, that is one of the most helpful tests 
um, and it's backed on so much, you know, science, and it is proven to really be effective and really help you understand what your implicit biases are. Um, so what you may not be self-aware of that you have biases towards. Um, and I think that's a really helpful tool, like you're saying, Natalie, to be more self-aware and take steps to have that sort of initiative and learn about yourself. And so I think that's even like another level up in my mind from these types of personality tests to really help you understand how you interact with the world around you and how the world around you has affected you and how you've developed as a person. Um, all right, let us, let us say that that is it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Wisterhood. Make sure to subscribe so you'll know when we drop more episodes and comment so more folks can find us. Or you could just tell people about us. That's the best way to spread the word. You can tell us your stories or ask questions you'd like answered on the pod. You can email us at podcast at womeninsciencepdx.org. We would love to hear from you. And of course, special thanks to Homo Kosariani who designed our awesome cover art. Goodbye.